and into that wonderful uh, special from our brother. I say the stress. Um, some years ago, I came down with something called chronic fatigue syndrome, and it had a lot of other spin-offs to it. And one of it was depression. Uh, I know the Lord had a hand in that to teach me some lessons, particularly about people who were going through depression. And I used to just take it casually. I used to uh, just take it, what you're worrying about, you know, trust in the Lord. I thought depression was a sin, as I said, but uh, the Lord allowed me to go through that to teach me and taught me some lessons that I might be able to understand better when people are going through their problems and depression, how to empathize with them. But um, a doctor I went to, he was trying to explain to me how about stress, and many found out that I was a preacher and how long I was preaching. He said, listen, I deal with a lot of people who are in the show business. Well, he wasn't including me in that. <laughs> I hope he wasn't. Uh, some of us preachers, that's what we're in anyhow. You know the show business. You know that too. Um, and he said, this is what happens. And many, many of them, I have to talk to them because they're so stressed up when they come to a level and they have breakdowns. And he says, this is what happens. They're supposed to perform. And so the whole day they're... Uh, mine is geared upon this performance. And so there are so many other performers before them, and a lot of them in the back walking, you know, pressing, trying. And then um, one after the next, and then they think their name is going to get called somebody else. And that, they, they reach that height, and then it's not them, and they have to think. And he said, this happens when you're preaching. You're in church, you prepare for your sermon, and you know how it is sometimes. You, you would like first thing to do is get up there and preach get it off your system if I may put it that way and so um, some leader he goes through spaces and then we have announcements and then the preacher the song leader says well before the pastor comes to preach we will have a, we will have a, another song so would you please stand up and so on so he's getting ready you bench you pray and whatever else going through your mind and then after you finish uh, singing and you're getting ready to go up. He says, well, you know, before a preacher comes now, we invite sister to come and sing a special for us. And he said, you don't understand how much stress you put on yourself there. And that stress is something, he says, you're building on layers, layers upon layers. And if you don't recognize it as stress, you don't deal with it. So it remains there. And he says, over the years, your stress builds up because you're just, your anxiety and wanting to preach or whatever, and it's built there. And you never dealt with it. And so I'm learning that when that comes up, that I, at that moment, I have to ask the Lord to help me to, to deal with that and to relax myself. Well, you'll find out that I had a real stress level went up when Brother Powell preached. And I'll tell you why in a moment. I'm going to just say a little more things about our ministry in Africa. I want to challenge you. I'm going to make a real big jump of many years. And to tell you up front, I mean, tell you here, that out of that missent letter, for those of you who were here, a uh, letter or weren't here, a letter came to our church in 1991 without any country of destination on it. A man acts in for Bibles, and he's from a village in Zimbabwe called Chikari. And we responded to that, but our letter went to somebody else instead. His letter that he came, that I received, was not meant for me. Um, by the way, I found out who that letter was meant for. There's a church I found out eventually many years afterwards, and I actually called the man and told him what his ministry did. Because it is his ministry of tapes and offering Bibles, and apparently he would have people going to Africa and give them tapes of his messages. And that's what the man heard, and he referred to it as his broadcast. And it's a little church I found out called Grace Bible Church in Oregon. And I, I called him up. His name is Pastor Vian, an elderly man, a very, uh, an older gentleman, I'm not sure how old, maybe in the 70s, going 80s. Anyhow, and so this letter was meant for him, but it didn't have any country of destination on it, and it came to Barbados. I think God meant it for us then, if I might have seen what has come out of it. Out of that missent letter, and mine going then writing back to Mr. Wellington, 
But instead it went to Brother Gideon in Juve, who was looking, God was praying that God would put him in contact with someone uh, that he can associate himself with as far as starting ministry in Zimbabwe. Well, out of that missent letter, uh, those two missent letters, since 1991, God has just broken the bread and the fish and multiplied it with very little. Now, in Zimbabwe, we had at one time 12 churches, over 12 churches. There were other little groups. But because of the political and the financial uh, thing there, uh, some of it has gone down because of... And, and, well, I don't want to get into this aspect, except that there were some people who came and offered money to some of our pastors. And I, I can understand a pastor in, in those countries. The biggest bidder gets it because things are really, really hard there. I don't agree with them, but I can understand that. Put me in that position, possibly I would do that too. Anyhow, um, I mean, things are really so bad in Zimbabwe. I have in my bag, I think it is, I had one higher than that, a $50 million note. I had a trillion dollar already from Zimbabwe. Well, the money has just gone boom. Can, so they use U.S. dollars there now, and the rand or the, the pound, but mainly the U.S. dollar. But um, out of that, those missent letters, we have today in Zimbabwe... Several churches, and I'm talking about buildings as well, pastors, uh, there are six of them that are functioning as local churches. In that, that spilled over to Mozambique. Remember I talk, talk, told you about the Mozambique thing last night? And out of that, we have, there are, uh, there, uh, I'm going to say 17 to be, to be on the conservative side because of the other smaller churches. There are 17 churches in Mozambique. And they're scattered over Mozambique. That spilled over to Malawi, and Malawi is the fastest growing one now. I was just there a couple of weeks ago for the conference and other things. And we have there, there are the churches, and there are another 17 churches, but there are cell groups, because a pastor is, has a church, and he has cell groups in other villages. Um, so that that comes under his church as well. So when you add them up with those cell groups, they're about 35, but we'll call them 17 because of that, they're the pastors. They're, um, uh, they gave me a figure. I was there. They told me, putting all the, all the churches in Malawi together, there are at least 2,000 members of our churches there. In, in Mozambique, is about the same. Malawi, uh, sorry, Zimbabwe is about 800 people. Now, brethren, I, I have to pull back the bridle on a horse. Well, you ride a horse, a horse wants to go fast, and you, you have to pull the bridle, you know, put a bit on him, otherwise he'll go. And I can easily do that in, in a lot of those countries, because those people, they just want to go and preach and tell their there are other people about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God has just multiplied. Um, in February, the Lord opened the door for us in Rwanda. I'd never prayed about Rwanda. I'd heard about Rwanda and the genocide, if you know anything about the genocide in Rwanda uh, in the 90s. People just got bludgeoned, uh, the tribal war that was there. But it's a wonderful Africa. If you go there, it's so different to the other African countries. It's one of the cleanest places in the world. If I might just tell you that. They have something called Omuganda. Every last Saturday in the month from the president, right down, don't go to work. To, uh, stores can't open till 1 o'clock on that Saturday. But everyone have to go to somewhere and clean up the roads. Clean up the places. All the plastic is... It's illegal to have a plastic bag, to travel a plastic bag in Rwanda because of the environmental thing. And so it's a really wonderful place. But God opened a door for us through that continuation of that letter. Um, one of our pastors, um, uh, he, he worked on Bible translations with the Bible Society. He was the, 
the, the Malawian person to give them the Chirwa language uh, interpretations for the Bible um, translation in Chirwa. Uh, Maxwell M.P.T. Yanga. Um, he was pastoring in, in his home church um, down in Sanje, but then he felt the Lord leading him to or the second city, Blantyre. And he started a church there. And after a few years, he said, you know, uh, we need to start a church in the capital, Lilongwe. And for years, he'd been wanting to go to Lilongwe. Well, his wife got sick. And she had to go to Lilongwe for medical attention. While they were there, uh, the medication that she needed, she could not get in Blantyre. And they decided, well, the best thing to do now, Blantyre and Lilongwe, that's like six hours driving away from each other, quite a few hundred miles away. And um, so he decided, well, maybe we need to settle in a long way. So he settled in a long way and he started a church there a couple of years ago. Um, I just was there, I could show you the pictures. We just bought a piece of land. I'm, I'm not sure how they measure their land, but um, it's a few acres and we were able to buy it for uh, 6,000 US dollars. And I can give you some other good stories about the land we bought. Um, and, and so we're going to put a church there and, and try to dig a well uh, on it because of what they will need there. And, and so he, got, he, he started a church. Well, one day he got a visitor at church, and a man is from Rwanda. He left Rwanda and came to Malawi looking for work. And um, he, was looking, he, was a, he was saved, and he was looking for church. And he came, the Lord led him to the little church that Brother Maxwell started, just a little church. If you know the sticks and little cement bags over it for the time being. Um, and he came and he was quite um, pleased with what he was hearing him preaching. And he said to him, listen, in our church in Rwanda, uh, we need some help. Because the same thing about association. There's a little group that started in Rwanda and that needed help. And to be able to establish a church. Uh, the man had come out from a Pentecostal background that started the little group. And um, he, I read the doctrinal statement when I went up there. I said, where did you get this from? You got this from a book. He said, no, we didn't. And down the line. And anyhow, and he said, why don't we, we, we would like to start have a church like this in Rwanda? So Maxwell contacts me and says, um, Sikuru, well, I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you about Sikuru a little bit. Uh, Sikuru, um, we, I, this man came and we, need, we, we have an opportunity to go to Rwanda and start a church. And God used his wife's illness, get him to be in a long way so that this man could come to this church. And in February this year, myself and my, one of my nephews, he's a pastor, um, we, we went off to Rwanda. And God opened that door and we were able to establish a church there. God worked a miracle in that. If I may just tell you this again... Um, there's a lady who works with the United Nations who's from one of our churches in Barbados and she's stationed in African countries. I thought she was in Tanzania and we were emailing um, but she always is interested in helping with the projects. We have projects that we do in, in helping them in their life. We have a fishing project. Uh, might be able to share that with you tomorrow night, Lord willing. Uh, and uh, buying land to help them in farming. And she likes to help with that. So I... Um, just, I told her about the, the fishing project. And so she replied and said, oh, by the way, I'm in Rwanda. I said, no, I, I thought you were in Tanzania. They had reassigned her to Rwanda. And so I said, listen, we got, there's a man in Rwanda I need to contact. Could you contact him for us? I sent her his um, information and so on. She emails me back and says, Pastor... The man lives, the place it is, is between 7 to 10 minutes drive away from me. And she was able to, able to go and meet him, set things up for us and everything else. And we headed off to Rwanda. And we have established a church there. And I mean, the, the, the things you have to go through to establish a church is even worse than Zimbabwe. Uh, that you have to give to government and so on. Since then, uh, since February... Where the church was first established there. They have gone to the south of Rwanda and started two other churches. Um, it's just amazing in, 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 in things that God could do. 
Now, I said Sikuru, and I'll just share this one with you. Um, I'm not, I don't have letters behind my name. Uh, I've been with doctors <laughs> uh, around the place, and so on. But some years ago, when I went back to Africa, I went there, they had a, a service for me, both in Mozambique and in Zimbabwe. And they had a service. And I joined the service, they called me up. And you know like how you go and you get a doctorate conferred on you? And they had a service like that, and then they called me up. And while they called me up, I saw them in both of the churches. They had a walking stick. Instead of giving me a paper, you know, like for a, a conferred doctorate, they gave me a walking stick and conferred upon me the title of Sikuru. Sikuru in Shona language means grandfather. <laughs> but grandfather in African, in that part, is the man you listen to. And a host of other things that goes with it. So they refer to me not as pastor or anything like that. They refer to me as Sikuru. So I, got, I had to travel with my two canes, my two walking sticks at the airport from Zimbabwe through England. <laughs> Because I couldn't fit in the suitcase. Well, I go to Rwanda. Guess what they did during the last service? They did not know that's what they did in Mozambique, in Mozambique and in Zimbabwe. I could have it, and they had a walking again, planted me with a cane or a walking stick, and so on. And so that's why. Uh, but God has done some really wonderful things, and um, trust that. Tonight, even, we will be able to challenge you in the relationship of missions. Now, Brother Al Williams, I took him with me. It more looked like, if you go by size, he would say he took me with him, right? Uh, <laughs> but I took him with me. He was a little boy. And <laughs> we had a really good time in Zimbabwe. Um, but he never came back. He never, I don't know why. Uh, he, loved, he liked Africa so that when we landed in Africa, because of his African roots, he said, Africa! <laughs> uh, and so when he was leaving, they gave him something called, with a map, and got Africa on it. But he never, never came back. I don't know why. He's more highfalutin than I am. I could live some places he can't live. So that's the reason why. <laughs> uh, so on. Um, just now, when Dr. Powell, Brother Powell, started to preach. And he said, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Oh, boy. I said, what? And then he said, and he went through and I was saying, Lord, um, maybe this message that I thought I preached, that was from me and not from you. Because I didn't want to preach from the same chapter he preached from, for more than one reason. Uh, and then he said about the race. And he said, and you know the race that we're in, we're not competing against each other. But that's my message. <laughs> <laughs> and so I sat there and I started to think, Lord, should I change? I, I tried to think of a, another message that maybe I can preach. And uh, I listened to him. I thinking maybe I could still preach from the same passage, but emphasize some other things. And then he said afterwards, uh, well... Let's, let's look at chapter, uh, he said, you know, the next chapter, chapter 10. And boy, I just said, <laughs> I intend to close with chapter 10, but now I don't have to. <laughs> because he did some things, and well, no, I can't do what he did. So, I mean, and so that really uh, set me a bit at ease as I, I'm going to preach. So, you know what, to take your Bible and turn now uh, to chapter 10. Uh, maybe I'll show you a little, little, some little pictures of some things of, of, of our African ministry uh, tomorrow night, Lord willing. Um, but when you were taking the offering, I was going to show you a little picture of in, in, in Malawi. They were taking the offering. I'd, they asked me if I would preach on giving, learning about giving. And so I, I, I preached on giving and I talked about how the... The leaders should be examples in giving. If you're going to ask people to give, teach people to give, the example must be seen in you first. And we went on like, 
When they start taking the offering, I mean, they, they take the literally preach, you're preaching literally. And about the kingdom, brethren, <laughs> I preached on the kingdom, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the, the good and the, 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 the frightful, frightening thing about me preaching to those people is there. If I tell them this is what it is about the kingdom, they just accept it. So that puts a responsibility upon me. I better teach those people truth. I better. Because they don't question what I'm going to tell them. But that's frightening. And through this ministry, God has enabled me to share the kingdom with the pastors individually. Some who have gone to Bible college, one of them, the main one, very good. Uh, the son of Gideon and Jove. Gideon and Jove died and his son was able to go to Puerto Rico God worked it out that day and his sister went to Puerto Rico to study. And he did his master's there in Bible. He is the leader in our churches in Zimbabwe now. He's a really good man. And to be able to shake off some of the shackles that he got in Bible college. And to go through the doctrine um, of, the, uh, of the kingdom with him. And with the others, uh, the others that are there. And so on. God has given me some wonderful opportunities uh, of doing that and, and so on. Um, but the offering, I was going, well, I'll show you this, but since it's on my mind, and so that maybe you will learn to, when you, you give tomorrow night. And I'll say something about a little bit of giving um, in my message. But they had the offering, and so what they did, they, had, they, they, they take the offering, you have to come forward, that's what they do, put something here. And they have offering, and you don't, you don't come around and tell, do you bring your offering up? And I've had some strange offerings come up at, in, in some of those countries already. Bananas came, whatever else, and, and so on. So this offering, the leaders came. And when, because you heard the leaders have to give, and so they put the leaders on the spot. They had to come. And then they took the offering and counted and said, the leaders gave so much. <laughs> Anyhow, during the offering time, a man came up with his jacket. And he took his jacket off and he put it on the pulpit as his offering. When he did that, a lady who had a white hat, she got up and put her hat on, the, on, on, on there for her offering. So what are they going to do with that? <laughs> Pastor Maxwell said, well, we have a, a jacket here uh, and a hat here. So what we're going to do is auction it off. <laughs> who wants a jacket for so much money and a hat? And then somebody got it, the hat and the thing, and they took the money and put in the offering Oh, isn't that wonderful? I mean, I just like things like that, you know? Regular, I mean, wow. God has, God has given me some privileges I'm not worthy of. In simple things of life. I, and um, I'm no, I'm really, I'm not, well, you know, when you say that, that sounds as if you, you're plain humble. <laughs> and that you're somebody when you want to say you're nobody. But I am writing a little, I've started a little biography and the name of it, he took me out of the sheep court. Because if you know where I come from and what I am not, uh, maybe you wouldn't invite me to preach. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul. And I want to just go through this chapter very quickly with an outline. And then pick up a couple points here and share with you as far as this. In verses 1 and 2, instead of reading, I'm going to read through it. Paul affirms his right as an apostle. Now, sometimes that comes up in our lives. And for some reason, some people question who you are. And you have to set forth some things. Yes, you know God's calling upon your life. You know what God, between you and the Lord, what has happened. And Paul affirms his apostleship in verses 1 and 2. Uh, we, I'm just going to give this without reading it for, for the sake of time. In verses 3 to 6, Paul assert, asserts uh, assertion of his rights as an apostle. As he tells them there, in answer to them... That do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and drink? And he, he talks about what is his rights as an apostle. Then um, Paul gives an assumption 
verses 7 to 14, why he should be supported by those to whom he ministered. Why they should give to help him. 7 to 14. And then from 15 to 18, verses 15 to 18, there's Paul's aspiration um, to forfeit these rights. He says, I'm going to forfeit these rights. I mean, they're scripturally proves them. These are my rights. But I'm going to forfeit them because of what could be, what can happen. It can be an hindrance if I stand for my rights and say, you need to help me. I'm not going to do that because I don't want any of you in any way to feel that it's you that's taking care of me. And so he said, I'm going to forfeit those rights. Then in verses 19 to 23, we see Paul's adapt, how he adapts to the ministry, his flexibility, adaptability. In verses 19 to 23, I want to read that one. Um, For though I am free from all men, yet I have made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became... To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And then in verses 14, 24 to 27, we find Paul's attitude in ministering. Knowing not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that he may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Here's Paul in his defense as his apostleship and he talks about some personal things in his life in his ministry talks about finances now that's not the easiest thing for preacher to talk about at least uh, some of us not if you belong to the charismatics that's the easiest thing for them to talk about and it's not easy for a pastor to come and talk about financial things Uh, generally speaking if I see any visitor in church And if I was going to preach about giving, I hedge around it because I don't want them to feel that this is a church and a preacher who is about money. Um, I don't make fuss about the offering. Sometimes, like you, brother, I forget to take the offering. And somebody else say, Pastor, the offering. And I prefer it is this way, then that's the major thing in our churches. But there sometimes you have to teach about giving. Uh, You have to bite the bullet as it were. But there are ways of doing it. And to be able to make people understand what their responsibilities are to the ministry and to those who preach the gospel. Any man of God, and I say man of God, I'm not talking about man of God because of a calling. I'm talking about man of God because of his living. It's very, very, very sensitive Towards financial matters. Um, You would rather not receive anything. Because you don't want anybody to feel. That he's preaching. Because he wants to get some money. But money today has ruined many a preacher. And money could be the means of those of us. Who are running the race. To get sidetracked very easily. And my suggestion to most pastors. Stay as far from the treasury as possible. And me. I refuse to put my name down. At the bank. And I know some other pastors do that. There's. One temptation less. 
Because any one of us can be tempted. Sometimes I know some people, a need comes up in their life. And this has happened recently that I know of. And they decided that they will borrow the money because they had access to it. They'll borrow the money and put it back eventually. And it never went back. And it became a habit. Now they didn't intend that at first. And so the temptation. And money could be one of the issues in the life of God's leaders that would cause them to be a castaway. And so it's best to have the attitude of Paul in this matter. God will provide. That's his promise. God will take care of us. And a lot of times the things that we think we need, we don't really need anyhow. But God will take care of us. Now, there's no virtue in being poor. And there's no particular sin in being rich either. At the same time though, there's extreme virtue in being contented with what God has given us. And trust him for other things. But the church must realize that the gospel, if it's to be preached, there must be finances. And that might be your area of you running your race. Because you might not be able to preach the gospel. You might not go, be able to go places. But God wants you to be part of the gospel. Now, and know that theologians and great deep scholars take the gospel and divide it up into pieces. I don't. I see the gospel, whether you call it the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of grace, Paul's gospel, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God, or whatever else it is named in the Bible, I see them as all forming one aspect of the good news. And I, I just don't understand how people have to dissect and be so theological and so deep in trying to convince people of what they know of the scriptures. There's one good news. Glad tidings. A savior is born. And it goes on. If you put them together, it talks about his kingdom. And then how we will reign on the, on the throne of David. It talks about how men will have peace. And the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Must be preached. And Paul saw this. And he said to the people I go to preach that gospel. Whoever it is. I'm trying to. I will adapt my life. So that those people can hear the wonderful gospel. Now dear friends. The gospel in its simplest form means good news. Now you can develop that, whatever words you want, and you can run with it, theologically, scripturally, with the kingdom, uh, with the grace of God, with, with Christ as his messiahship, the gospel of Christ and his resurrection, the gospel of God, the source of it, of it all, the grace of God, the free, uh, freeness of the gospel, and, and all the other things. You put all of that together, whatever aspect it is, it equals good news. See, whatever part you call it there, it means good news. And if something is good news, you have to proclaim it. Remember the fellows in, in the kings, or the lepers in kings, you know, they had all that food. Oh, in a sense, we sit in here needing all this food. Don't let the people know. There's more food, there's food here. Good news. This is a really wonderful conference, I'll tell you why. We, this seems to be a little kingdom all by itself from America. I talked to my wife last night and we were talking something, they were shipping, we were trying to get so that I can take back. And she said, but you know, she's there listening to the news in Barbados and America is about to be shut down. And I said, oh, I said, this is really, really good news. 
that here we had a conversation. I didn't hear one person in one conversation. Did you hear what happened last night? And where is it? The Senate? Oh, the House, whatever. Y'all got so much layers, I don't know uh, which one it is. And so she told me today, yes, some government places are closed down, shut down. But isn't this wonderful that you can live in this world here and don't even hear nothing about that? You should shout and say, Amen, praise the Lord. This, I mean, this is what Christian fellowship is about. That you could take out all the doom and the gloom of the world. If you were not at this conference... You'd be home watching the news and say, oh boy, now what are you going to do with this? <laughs> and you want to know why this Republican didn't vote for it, why this Democrat didn't uh, do something or the other. And, and here you are at peace, even though America is closing down. <laughs> I thought, boy, this was good. But anyhow, the gospel. The gospel must be preached. Now, sometimes we get so theological that we miss out on the simple truths of God's word. If it's good news, it must be proclaimed. You can't keep it in your heart. Jeremiah thought he would stop preaching. But the message of God burned in his soul like a fire. And he had a start. Dear friend, when you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And all that he promised us for the gospel. I know what the gospel did to my life. Even when I didn't even know about the kingdom. The person that preached the gospel to me didn't preach about the kingdom. They preached about Jesus Christ died for my sin. I was a sinner. And I needed salvation. And the only person that could save me is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how I got saved. I believe that's how most of you got saved. I, I would be surprised if anybody in here got saved. Except maybe the younger ones. Who got saved because they heard a message on the kingdom. And that message changed our lives. I know what I used to be. I know where my life was heading when I got saved. But the simple message of the, what we call the gospel. I don't, I'm not in the group that look down on those people who's out there preaching the gospel that I got saved under. I've seen that gospel change lives. Of men that's down in the ground, wicked prisoners, ready for death row, and all, and the gospel that Jesus Christ died for them because God loved them. And that if you put your trust in Him, you believe in Him, you believe that Jesus Christ is alive, you know, he, God has risen from the dead, thou shalt be saved, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that gospel changed many, many, many lives over the years, over the centuries. Proven over and over and over and over again. And I'm not going to belittle that now because I know about the kingdom. Because you see that good news that Jesus Christ died for me and all that went along with that's good news, dear friend. That's part of the whole. Don't ever lose sight of that. You've heard me say during the course of the night that I've done a little research on history. As far as theology, I had um, the history of theology is a study I did. And it made me, and it was born out of something that I read. And I did not like history. I don't like history. You have to like history to read history. And so I bought a, I had a Miller's Church history in my library. And because... You know, you should, as a preacher, should have something on church history, I suppose. And I never read it. It was there, new, on my shelf. Until one day I was studying the book of Revelation. And 
I was following the church ages, you know, about apostle, the age of the apostle church, and then the, the, the Pergamos church, and so on. And when I came to the church of Sardis, I didn't understand it. Thou was a name that thou livest, but are dead. That's a, something, not for tonight, but uh, it's, a, it's a message that you've got to think of if that interpretation is correct. About the church of Sardis, it refer, according to that type of interpretation, it represents the Reformation period. The Reformation period in Christian history represents one of the most powerful ages. And yet, Jesus said, if it is true that that represents that age, Jesus said, thou hast a name that thou livest. And that's what it is in Christendom. That the Reformation period have a big name. That's where we get all our doctrine. False doctrine. Lots of it come from the Reformation period. A lot of the type of different churches we have out of that. And so I did a history of theology. Finding our roots. And one thing I found out. Is that whenever in church life there was some doctrinal issue that came up. And that, that was that which they argued for and debated one against the other and tried to prove one right and the other. Guess what happened? Some simple Christian things that they were doing all the time got lost in it because they spent all their time arguing, trying to prove their point of which theological position was right. You check it out and you'll see that. My fear... About us who believe in the kingdom truths. Are losing our vision for the lost. And we are so caught up. In trying to get believers to enter the kingdom. That we are forgetting that there are others. Who need to hear the good news. So that they can hear about entering the kingdom as well. I still believe in the simple People make laughs born at it and they say what it is about the Great Commission that that word isn't found there and so on. You don't have to find the word to know what it means when it says there's a Great Commission. There's a command. Greek scholars would tell you that the goal in there is imperative. Some people say that's only for the disciples. Can't be one. When you look what the follow scripture through, it just can't be only for the disciples. And that they fulfilled it. Some people say, they use the word, and all the world have heard. Well, friends, the world is still now. I believe strongly in my soul. And God help me. I'm not going well. I hope. Well, sometimes, you know, you hear some things that twist your head and your heart. But my heart is set for the declaration of the gospel through all nations. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I know what it says there about making disciples. But there's a formula that we must follow. But you can't make disciples unless you get converts. And you can't get converts unless you go and preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then you can teach them the truths of the kingdom. That's how it happened to us. Believers, don't lose that vision. You become all things for all men that they may hear the good word of God. And I have a great fear in my heart. I was, I was in fundamentalism. I mean... I. I, I, I mixed with the fundies. I mixed with them. Uh, one day I, they invited me to preach at one of the big conferences in the USA. And um, put me up in the same hotel. And so when we got our bill and everything else. I'm not going to call the names. You know the names. Right? Um, they, they reset, you know, now, I didn't have money to do that. They did it for me. Um, so the doctor calling the names. Doctor, uh, here's your bill. Doctor this. and I got So I'm with them. So she... Well, if I'm with them, she put in Dr. Carl Nantrum too. And I said in the next conference that they were at, I sometimes say some things I shouldn't. But I said, you know, I learned that if you lie, lie with dogs, you get fleas. 
Oh, boy. <laughs> but when you, in that, you hear them talking about fighting for the faith. And they're losing the vision for living a life where God wants us to love everybody. Not compromise with sin. Don't leave those who are hurt to die. One of the verses in scripture that really turned my heart some time ago, some years ago is this. About the Lord Jesus Christ. A bruised reed shall he not break. But we in fundamentalism and whatever else, you bruise what you do. Mash you down more. Separate from you. And then when they go to a liberal church, we call them liberal. We want, we want to leave them there and we want them to come back on their own. A bruised reed will I not break. And you and I have to learn as preachers and others. When people in our congregations are hurting. We don't go and preach messages to break them down more. We need to preach messages that will encourage them. Encourage the healing to restore them. That's not compromising. And they, they, they lose that. And the last thing they lost was a vision. As I, I used to go to conferences. And boy, they started to become very Calvinistic. I heard some messages that, whoo, God determines one thing. God determines where um, every celestial dust drops. That sounds deep and high and on. And they lost the burden for missions. And I fear kingdom people, believers, if we might call you that, don't lose your burden for missions. There's a world out there that needs to hear the good news. If you want to say the good news of the kingdom, that's all right with me. Because that's good news. But I know in order for you to tell them about Jesus going to be a king, you have to tell them about the Jesus who died for them. And all the other things. Don't lose your vision, please. I I beg you. There are people out there who are hungry to hear the good news. I could give you illustration after illustration. I'm sure those who, Brother Kenan and Sister Nancy and others who have gone on the mission field or on mission trips in different places of this world could tell you that. The special feeling it is to talk to somebody for the first time about the Lord Jesus, that they don't know who he is. And to be able to, to share that wonderful truth with them. And God has commanded us that you and I need to go and take that good news to the people. How good it would be, right? We enter the kingdom and many have not heard about the kingdom. And I'm going to tell you this, this is my feeling, this is my interpretation, my deep feeling. If you lose your vision for missions, you can become a castaway. Because kingdom people are compassionate people. They're people that love people. They're people who want to see people come out of sin and into righteousness. They're people who are burdened for people who are heading for judgment. And Paul says, I run this race. I don't beat the air. I don't shadow box, he says. I hit the mark. I fight not uncertainly, he tells us there. If you're going to run this race, it involves a lot of things. Ah, Holiness. I don't know which one topped the list. If it's holiness or humility or love, all of them are together, form one. The fruit of, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit.
And so, all of us have a race to run. And as said earlier on, praise God, I'm not competing with you. As I compete with you, more than likely you would win. Because I am carnal, soul, under sin. You know, it's so easy for me to sin. Who was talking about, you know, that you're reading the word of God and bad thoughts come to your mind while you're reading the word of God. You know, there's a hymn that says, Satan flees when the weakest sin bends down and kneels to pray. Boy, I must not weep then, because I can tell you, Satan don't flee when I come to pray. It seems as if he comes there stronger side. It seems sometimes that Satan comes and kneels side down beside of me. And take my mind off of what I'm praying. It's so easy. And you and I must see that we are in a race and praise God. I don't have you to contend with. Because if I was contending with you, or are you with me, I more than likely would pull you back. Imagine I don't contend with you, and that's what we do at one another. Anyhow, we hinder each other a lot of times. And you're in this race, and he says, and uh, every man's strike, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? If only one would receive the prize out of all of us, What's the sense of running? Because I would run in to stop you from getting there. And I don't want to do that. If only one win the prize. You know why only one win the prize? Because only one is in the race for themselves. There are no silver medals. In God's race. And so run your race. Keep your eye upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despite the shame. Now he sat down on the right hand of the Father and I. So run the race with patience. And do what? Take off the garments. Take off the, the things that hinder you. Not necessarily sinful things. But then he said also, and lay aside the sin. The besetting sin. So you can run the race. With patience. Be not weary. Don't let your hands hang down and feeble knees. Run the race, dear friends. Keep your eyes upon the Lord Jesus. That's your race you're in. So run. Run that he may obtain. I want that praise. I don't know if I, I wish, I, you know, I, I can't say, you know, reading Paul's writings, I don't know if there's such an intensity in my soul as much as is in Paul's soul. I wish there was. So run, so run, that he may obtain. And then he says, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. A well-balanced person, to put it that way. You know how you become a well-balanced person? It's to be controlled by the Spirit. When it says be filled by the Spirit, one of the meanings of the word be filled by the Spirit is to be modulated by the Spirit. You know, you have musical things and the instruments and sometimes you, put, you turn up the volume, you can hear the, the bass, boom, boom, boom. Or you can turn it, no, it says modulated, that is synchronized together. A balanced life. Be moderate. Be temperate in all things. Not some things, but in all things. But now they do it, these people in this race, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. In those days, they didn't used to get gold medals. Apparently, they used to get an olive leaf put on the head. Corruptible. By the next couple of days, finish with. But we, an incorruptible ground, that fadeth not away. Now, whatever that means, you could delve into it. But I would say this incorruptible ground, whatever you think that is good, you could put it there. You know, there's a verse that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
If you study that word good in the Hebrew, it's such a, a powerful word that it took 36 different English words in our King James Version of the, in the Old Testament. 36 different English words to translate that word good in the, from the Hebrew. So he says, oh, test and see the Lord. But plus it is in the superlative. So when you say, oh, test and see the Lord is good, it means, oh, test and see that the Lord is best. The Lord is most delightful above all things. And whatever word you can use to describe something good, the Lord is good that way. Superlatively good. So the, the, the incorruptible crown, you can put it in that category. The verse I'm going to quote, I know we quote it out of context, and I'm going to do that now. But just say, because it has to do with the word of God in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2. Where he talks, I have not seen or ear have heard, not entered in the hearts of man what God has prepared for them that love him. And if you look on later on, he says, but the word of God, you check and see, you can have it in the word of God. And I have not seen or ear have heard what God has for those who love him. Oh, sometimes you sit down, me, I have a wild imagination. As I, I, so it's so all wild imagination. If I start to sleep here, I can start to dream. And I started to think, boy, what is this that God has in heaven for us? Uh, wherever it is that he will have it. I mean, uh, there's a verse, Ephesians 2, 7. Boy, check that verse. So it says that in the ages to come, one age after the next, one age after, God is going to have different things. And I don't know how long those ages will be. That in the ages to come, he will show us the riches of his goodness, of his kindness towards us. Somebody said, if God had to describe for us what he had, has for us in the Bible, all of us would commit suicide right away. Because we want it. So he knew that, so he didn't he just put it in, in those vague terms for us. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, but I so fight I not as one that beat the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I've preached to others, I should be a castaway. Paul's preaching of the gospel to all men. And he realized that as he preached the gospel, he needed help. But he's not going to preach that gospel because he didn't get help. Because he's not going to let anybody stop him from getting that crown. He's not going to let his attitude towards material things cause him to be a castaway. If you give, praise God. If you don't give me, praise God, I'm going to go on still. It's Paul's attitude. And Paul's desire to win the race, you well know. And Paul's fear about losing that race. And if the Apostle Paul had that fear, how much more you and I? And the only answer for that fear that's there, because we realize there's a world of flesh and the devil. And I said, and some Christians, fighting against us. It's all around. And the only thing that's going to help that kind of fear is to fear God. And keep his commandments. Walk in the way of righteousness. Have holiness in the desire of your heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. For without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Friends. Even if. The Christian life. Seeking for the kingdom was a hard life. Let us say it is a hard life. I don't believe it is, by the way. Hardships will come. Whether you're saved or unsaved, whether you're, whether you're entering the kingdom or not, everybody gets hardships. But we moan and groan as if we're the only ones. And even if it is hard to strive for the kingdom... To fight for it. 
it will be worth it all. For Paul says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. Keep running. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth shall grow strangely dim. What is a wonderful experience. I could tell you that. As you look at his glory and grace. God bless you. Let us run together. And help each other. In our own races. To win that crown. Take the word Lord. And bless it to our souls. I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.